Welcome to Adonai Church. You're listening to a sermon by our guest speaker, Dr. Joseph Shield. Hope you're blessed. I have titled the message as Burn On, Don't Burn Out. Burn On, Don't Burn Out. In the book of Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus speaks to us and gives us a message about what kind of a life we need to live, He says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So Jesus makes this very powerful statement, gives an identity to believers and to his disciples and to those who follow him at large, including you and me, saying that you are the light of the world. And the light has a purpose, and the purpose that the light has is to show the way to others, to shine forth the glory of God. And it says, a city that is on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. In verse 16 it says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. A light is for others to see. A light is for others to enjoy and experience. And here it says, so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. But the question is, there are many times that the light that we are meant to be shining runs out of fuel. How do we keep shining on? How do we keep glowing? How do we keep the light on all the time? There's a word in the dictionary which is called burnout. And the definition that is given in the dictionary is burnout means reduction of a fuel or substance to nothing. You can have a lamp burning out because the fuel is over. You could also see burnout happening in electrical devices where there's a failure of the electric device or component through overheating that happens and it gets burnt out. This term has also been taken into psychological parlance where it says burnout in the psychological parlance means long-term exhaustion and diminished interest in work. Long-term exhaustion which happens for a period of time When a device or a person gets used or a period of time, gets overheated or a period of time, where there's a wear, where there's a tear that happens and it gets burnt out. And there are certain symptoms that people experience of that burnout, which is exhaustion, lack of motivation, frustration, cynicism, negative emotions, lack of attention, underperformance, whether it's at work or in relationships, Interpersonal problems, neglecting oneself, and anxiety, just to name a few. And this long list that you see here is contraindicative of what God wants us to be. When the Word of God says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, do not be anxious for nothing. God doesn't expect us to be anxious. But anxiety gets manifested as a syndrome of a burnout or a symptom of a burnout. God wants you and I to be at our best. But burnout leads us to underperformance. We need to be good in terms of connecting to to people and to be a blessing to each other. Whereas burnout leads to interpersonal problems. Whereas the word of God says... Love your neighbor as yourself, which means, first and foremost, you love yourself. Whereas a person going through a burnout might be neglecting themselves. So they are so contraindicative of what God wants us to be. And the reasons could be where, it could be tear, it could also be, and primarily, not being well connected to God and receiving from God what we need to receive to be burning on. When Jesus says you are the light of the world, it means that you need to continue to burn on. 
Jesus also says that you are the salt of the earth, but he also makes a statement there saying that, but if the salt loses its flavor, nowhere does Jesus say, but if the light loses its light, which basically means that there is an assumption that this light is in the hands of God, where God constantly feeds us with the fuel that is required. And all that is required of that light is to be in the right place. To be in a place where it can throw the light. To be at a place of height. To be at a place of visibility. Isn't that amazing? For us to know that we get a refill. We get that fuel that is required fed to us on a constant basis. Because that light is a nature of God the light of the world, which is indeed the light that we reflect from God, and it is God's responsibility to feed us constantly with the fuel that is required. So, we are connected. We get fed. We don't burn out, but we burn on. It's important for us to realize that there is a promise there. Burnout is a result of weariness and the signs of weariness. Could be spiritual dryness, could be emotional emptiness, could be material misery, it could also be physical powerlessness. Any of those or a combination of those or all of these can bring you to a point of burnout or could also bring you to a point where you're experiencing these as the aftermaths of that burnout or that experience of going through a burnout. There's something that one needs to do at that point of time in terms of being in the presence of God and being filled constantly with what we need to be filled with, the presence of God. When we become discouraged, it's a sign that our level of confidence has gotten too low. When we become anxious, it's a sign that our level of peace has gotten too low. When we become insecure, it's a sign that our level of identity has gotten too low. And when we become exhausted, it's a sign that our strength, the level of strength has gotten too low. Have you experienced that any time? Have you experienced situations where you felt completely empty inside, your faith running dry, your spiritual battery running completely down, and there's just one more bar left, and you keep wondering what would happen next? Let me tell you that you and I are not alone in that journey. We do experience that at times, but in the Word of God, in the Scriptures, there are examples of people who went through that experience, but God refill them. The great news that we have is that God freely refills us because it is God who said that you are the light of the world and he is light himself and it is his responsibility to refill us constantly with the fuel that we need and we continue to burn on. We do not burn out. God is always there to restore our souls and to nourish our souls. It's time for you and I to go for a refill if we recognize that we need a refill, and wait in the Lord's presence. Psalm 23 verse 3 says, He restores my soul. He leads me to the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. God, the Father, is a restorer of our souls, which means that He deals with our souls to bring them back to a level of energy where it needs to be when He finds that we need a recharge. And He leads us through paths of righteousness, to the paths of righteousness. And this righteousness is not your righteousness or my righteousness, but His righteousness which He has chosen to impute upon each and every one of us and because of which we experience Him in all His power and all His glory. Not because of who we are, not because of our name, but for His name's sake. And the Word of God says that the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. Again, it is not your righteousness or our righteousness, but it is His righteousness which He chose to impute upon us and put a mark upon us saying that I choose to call this child of mine a righteous person. And He restores our soul. The word restore also means to refill or to replenish, to fill back, to put back stuff that needs to go in there and to put it to the fullest extent. 
I'm going to bring to you three facets this morning of this whole aspect of restoration, this whole aspect of refilling, this whole aspect of replenishment, which basically deals with the aspect of we continuing to burn on without being extinguished, without experiencing a burnout. The first and foremost that I want to share with you about is the aspect of the want. And I'm going to share with you about the mystery of the non-existent want. The mystery of the non-existent want. If you look at the book of Psalms chapter 23 verse 1. Psalm 23 verse 1 it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You and I as Christians, as those who believe in God will not experience a want because he takes care of us. The shepherd that we have is not the kind of a shepherd that we see in our streets or in the movies that we make here in India. The Jewish shepherd is known to be walking ahead of the flock. And the scripture also says that my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Unlike what we see, the shepherds in our context, in our culture, where they take a stick and they guide the sheep from behind, hey, 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 that kind of stuff that they do, and they keep herding them. Now that's not what happens there. It's the shepherd who walks ahead of the sheep, speaking to the sheep constantly, and the sheep hear his voice and they keep following him. We are all aware of the herd mentality. And the herd mentality comes when somebody keeps pushing you in a herd. We see it in trains. We see it in buses. Where people keep pushing. Get in, get in, get in, get in, get in. I don't know how many of you lived in a city called Bombay. And traveled in those buses there in Bombay. Not in the trains. Trains nobody speaks. They only push. But I worked a few years back, about 20 years back in Bombay. And uh, those days we used to travel but by the BST buses as well as what used to be called as the ST buses, state transport buses. Particularly if you're staying away from the city, you take them. And here comes the conductor. And all that he does is he yells at the top of his voice, Pude saraka, pude saraka, pude saraka, which means move forward. And everybody's like, moving, moving. And there's no more place to go. But still the guy is screaming at the top of his voice. Move forward, move forward. Now that's like shepherding. That's like herding people. And we used to feel like chickens packed in a small box. Or sheep packed in a small van. Squeezing in. But that's not the way this shepherd deals with us. This shepherd is a loving shepherd. He gives enough space for people to walk and people to follow him. And the beauty of it is, as you walk and you follow him, you keep wondering, how long should I walk? You know, the sheep are very funny animals, right? They don't lift their head. They keep walking down this way. And all that they can see around is the land around them. They don't look around and walk like what the dogs do. They look around. They give a smile. And sometimes you have funny dogs. You go to people's homes and, and I grew up in a culture where people told me that people keep a dog in their home to protect them. To take care of them. But these days you go to people's homes, there's a dog which comes towards you and the owner of the house says, oh, don't worry, it's a friendly dog. And the dog wants to get into your car. Take me. So cute, so sweet. You want to come with me? Yeah, it doesn't matter. It will come with you. I keep wondering, what are these dogs for? Are they there to take care of the house? Or are they going to be friendly with every stranger who walks in, including a thief? They're so watchful, obviously, as they're looking around, trying to make friends with anybody who comes. A friendly dog. But sheep, they're just walking this way. They don't see anything else but the ground. And suddenly when they feel tired, they're like, how long do you want me to walk? Don't you know that I'm tired? Don't you know that I'm hungry? But then there's a shepherd walking ahead of them who leads them to green pastures. 
and still waters. And he knows exactly when the flock needs a rest. It's like, you guys want to take a break? There's water out there and there's food out here. And once you finish eating your food, it'll still be like a beautiful lawn. You can lie down and take rest and have an afternoon siesta and then we take a walk again. Don't you like the shepherd? Amen. That's the kind of shepherd that we have. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And we live in a world where constantly wants are created. You buy an iPhone 5. You like it. OLED display and all that kind of stuff. Wonderful. And your friend gets an iPhone 6 plus with a retina display, you stop looking into your screen, but you look into your friend's screen and say, that looks better than mine. And today's corporates are in the business of creating wants. Not just catering to needs, but creating wants. And if you are able to create a want, you are an amazing marketing strategist. And the more you are able to create a want, you are like a successful businessman. But here, the Lord says, the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 to 32, it says, Therefore, do not worry about uh, worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? After all, these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Not some of these things. He, you need all these things. You might be thinking as to what I will eat, what I will wear, what I will, where will I live and stuff like that. But the word of God says, do not worry about those men. Just don't worry about those things because your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. And when he knows that you need all these things, what does he do? He makes a provision, as simple as that. He provides. So that's the kind of God that we have. How many of you have been to restaurants where you have waiters who serve you, who wait upon you? I'm not talking about the self-service restaurants like the KFC or the, Dom- uh, or, or the um, um, Burger Kings or the Dunkin' Donuts of the world where you have to go and pick up what you need. But you have those restaurants where people come and serve you, right? So what do you expect when somebody serves you? You finish eating something? The guy comes and asks you, sir, do you not want to have some more noodles? You finish your starters, then comes the main course. But the moment you have to wait for some time, it's not a good experience, isn't it? Hello? I'm talking about food at 12.15, right? Let me make it a little bit more exciting here. All right? Imagine for a moment you went to one of these Andhra restaurants. All right? Sunday afternoon, you go there, the Andhra restaurant, and then the Andhra restaurant, the first serving itself is like big, and then it is followed up with as many servings as you want. But then here you are, the first serving comes, and then comes time for the second serving, because you're done with the first serving, you finished it. But the guy is not coming. You're waiting for the guy. And there go your fingers, you're snapping your fingers, you're calling the guy, you're kind of screaming at the top of your voice saying that, excuse me, you know, excuse me and stuff like that. Is that a good experience to have? A good Andhra restaurant is one where you finish eating your first round and then the guy comes to pour the second round. You know, they pour food into your plate there or your leaf or whatever you call it. That's a good experience because you just finished it and the guy comes. You finish your second round, the guy comes and says, you want some more? And then you're full and say, thank you so much. Like, you know, there was no break. But if you have to wait for the waiter, it's a lousy experience. But in God's kingdom, it's like this. Where the Lord does not make you wait. And he's there right on time. You finish your meal, the first course, boom, comes the second course. Because the Lord is waiting upon you to take care of you. The refill comes exactly at the right time. You know those bottomless cokes that we have in some of the restaurants? It's like you finish your coke, 
boom comes the next round, right? But imagine if you're going to take a sip and then the guy comes, can I pour more? It's okay, the first time it's fine. He said, no, no, thank you, let me finish. You take another sip, the guy comes and says, like, can I pour more? That gets irritating, right? You would like to come all the way down to the bottom and say, you know what, I'm here, and then I would like to have a refill. The refill comes. Now, that's an amazing experience. And when the refill comes on time, it's an amazing experience. And that's exactly how the Lord does. It's like sitting in one of those restaurants where you have a very good care bestowed upon you. And Psalm 145 verse 19, it says, He will fulfill the desire of those who fear Him. He also will hear their cry and save them. Not only do you have a God who fulfills your needs and meets your needs, but He also fulfills the desires of your heart. There's nothing wrong as a Christian to have desires. Of course, your needs would be met. But there's nothing wrong in having a higher aspiration to have a desire because we are meant to be a blessing to others. We are meant to be people who are the most charitable people on earth. We are meant to be people who contribute to missions. We are meant to be people who invest in other people's lives. We don't live so that only our needs alone are met. Our needs will be met in any case. But in the kingdom of God, we as the heirs to the kingdom would also be a blessing to others. Just yesterday I was reading about this gentleman by name Patrick Gelsinger. Patrick Gelsinger was the chief technology officer of Intel Corporation. Right now he's the CEO for VMware. Interesting about Pat Gelsinger is that he is a very, very good believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, this article came out in the secular press. And it says that Warren Buffet, Bill Gates and the likes have set an example to follow for others by giving part of their wealth away. They've talked about philanthropy. They've practiced philanthropy. But then it says... This CEO of this $30 billion corporation has set a completely new benchmark where he has given away 50% of his wealth. It doesn't stop there. It says the initiatives that he supports are all initiatives linked to the church and the Christian initiatives. So it goes on to describe various initiatives that he's funding through the foundation that he set up with his wife. And he makes a statement somewhere in between which they quote. And he says, I want to earn a lot of money so that I can give away a lot of money. Now that's a desire, that's a dream. Amen? And that's why we are here. The cattle on a thousand hills belong to the Lord. And if they belong to the Lord, they belong to us as well. So the wealth would come in so that the wealth can go out. Not that we are just here to enjoy all of that. And it says, he will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He also will hear their voice and cry and save them. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 says, My God shall supply all your need, not some of your need, but all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Not according to our bank account, not according to the sovereign wealth of the nations that we live in, but according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus, which you and I cannot measure. Nobody else can measure. Why Christ Jesus? What's so special about Christ Jesus? In Colossians chapter 1 verse 27 it says, Colossians chapter 1 verse 27 it says, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know, glory is the character of God. If there is one word that encompasses every other character of God into just one, that is glory. Glory includes perfection, it includes compassion, it includes goodness, it includes joy, it includes holiness. 
all that we know about the qualities of God encompassed into one is the glory of God. It's glory. It is glory in itself. And that's why in John chapter 17, when Jesus prayed in the garden of Gethsemane, what he sought for the people, that is you and I, is that God's glory would be bestowed upon us. He gave that glory to us, that they may be glorified. And here it says, Christ in you, that is Christ in you, Christ in me, living inside us, who is he? He is the hope of glory. Hallelujah. When he's inside us, what we hope for is glory. Immeasurable joy, immeasurable riches, immeasurable peace. And we continue to burn on, burn on, burn on as the light of the world reflecting his glory and reflecting his good works and doing his good works. The hope of glory for the hopeless. Have you heard about hopeless people? Have you heard about a hopeless situation? It's not about we seeing a person and saying, hopeless situation. Hopelessness is not what you see, but hopelessness is what you feel. Or rather, what you do not feel. Hopeless people actually come to a point where they do not have feelings at all. You go and talk to a person who's living in a brothel house as a prostitute and you talk to them about freedom. What is freedom? What is the world out there? I've been born to a prostitute and I live as a prostitute and my life is just this. What are you talking about, man? You think they have hope? What are you talking about? Talk to people who are into bonded labor or into slavery and you talk to them about freedom. They won't understand anything. Talk to a man on the streets and talk to him about a home. He won't understand anything what you're talking about. Talk to someone who does not have a family and you talk to them about a loving family. They would not understand anything. That is hopelessness. They resign themselves to a life which is a routine. They wake up in the morning. This is what will happen, will continue to happen. Tomorrow will be exactly the same day. I don't think my life will deviate from this course ever. Talk to such people. Try to sell a dream to such people. You never will be able to sell a dream. The reason being that people can see dreams when they have a window on the wall and they can imagine what's there outside. But when you're sitting in a room without a wall, without, without a window on your wall, and you see nothing out there, you have a glimpse of nothing that is happening out there, you talk about what happens out there, it doesn't make sense. That is hopelessness. But when Christ enters inside of you, there is something that happens because he is the hope of glory and he gives you hope. He gives you a dream. He gives you a vision. He gives you a future and he handles that future because he's filling you and the one who fills you is the hope of glory. How does that happen? I would not know. You would not know. But that's the mystery of the divine nature of God. In the book of 2 Kings chapter 4, we see that the prophet Elisha has an encounter with a lady who's a widow. A woman who has been widowed of her husband who was a prophet. And there's nothing in her home. No money. And the sons would be taken away as slaves by the lender. Hopeless situation. Where does the money come from? No idea. Hopeless situation. Look at what happens here. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha saying, Your servant, my husband is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, 
your maid servant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil then he said go borrow vessels from everywhere from all your neighbors empty vessels do not gather just a few and when you have come in you shall shut the door behind you and your sons then pour it into those vessels and set aside the full ones so she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured it out now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son bring me another vessel and he said to her there is not another vessel so the oil ceased verse 7 then she came and told the man of god and he said go sell the oil and pay your debt and you and your sons live on the rest wow there is an oil refinery set up there in their home it's an oil industry she is possibly the richest sheikh on earth at that point of time when our god intervenes he can turn a jar of oil into an oil pipeline hallelujah pour it pour it pour it into how many go into your neighborhood and pick up as many vessels as you can the sons went around knocking every door auntie do you have some vessels in your house that you're not using did you finish cooking did you finish washing those vessels yeah we finished cooking we finished eating but we haven't washed those vessels doesn't matter we'll wash your vessels we'll take them and give it back in the evening for you if you were to put it in the 21st century august 2015 scenario elisha asks what do you have at home i have nothing but i have only one onion oh you have an onion where do you live karnataka housing board colony how many flats do you have there some 500 flats oh wonderful send your son to every flat and pick up every basket every bucket everything that you can pick up where you can store things take that onion start dropping it into those baskets onions after onions onions after onions onions after onions wow she is not just a millionaire not just a billionaire not just a trillionaire but she becomes an onionaire the richest person on earth you know somebody sent me a video the other day you know people say a lot of things these days right like people talk about obama obama apparently was like saying that you know my dollar is worth 67 rupees and somebody was looking at him for a day your dollar can't even buy 1 kilo of onion in our country what are you talking about <laughs> somebody sent a video on whatsapp i was just looking at that video i thought maybe this is a spiritual video let me have a look at it because it came on a christian spiritual group now that's interesting right so and here is a couple husband and wife sitting there the wife was upset as usual the husband did something i don't know what he did so he was trying to pacify her he was trying to smile at her they're sitting in a coffee shop nothing was working and she had all the best possible frowns in all the angles possible and good actor you know good actress whatever so suddenly the guy comes up with an idea he puts a gift packet there and that happens to be a jewelry box and then comes a smile on the girl's face and then she says this is for you so she slowly opens that purple color jewelry box and he takes out a necklace for a moment i found them nice shining purple pearls what a pearl necklace but a closer look at it it was not pearls this was neatly peeled off onions and then comes the best part of the ad vengayam jewelers vengayam jewelers kwanga dedicated to all the tamilians here I'm sh- and for those who are non tamilians vengayam means onion better learn some tamil <laughs> right this is to light you up lighten you up this afternoon but then this is what happens when god intervenes look at what happened to this widow she possibly turned turned out to be the richest woman in that particular town or in that particular city because god got into a hopeless 
situation where she had no idea where her next meal would come from. She had no idea whether she would be sleeping in her bed that night, hugging her two sons or not. But in that hopeless situation comes an overflowing provision of God. Hallelujah. And that oil jar becomes an oil mine in itself. Let me tell you, refill happens only at a time of emptiness. But when you filled again, your cup overflows. Remember that verse? And my cup overflows. And when you're filled, you're pressed down and you're shaken and you are overflowing. Let me tell you, when the Lord puts a table for you in front of your enemies, that's what is promised in Psalm 23, that's not a very clean table. Because when God gives you, it overflows. Turn to your neighbor and say, it overflows. It overflows. Right? You got biryani flowing, not just in your plate, but on the table. You get everything overflowing. Bottomless Coke on the Lord's table, it comes. Enough, enough. It's overflowing. And the table actually looks cluttered and dirty. The Bible talks about, scripture, the Bible talks about crumbs under the table. Which means that there's stuff which is overflowing. In God's economy of things, there is always surplus. And all of this is unmerited favor. It is not because of what that woman did that she received that blessing, but because of what God did in her life. And each and every one of us, when we receive that refill, it has got nothing to do about us, but it's purely about His grace. It's all unmerited favor. And that's about the want that I wanted to share with you this, this afternoon. Let's move on now to the weight. The second facet that I want to share with you about the burn on, the weight. In God's economy of things, delay is not decay. Just because things are delayed doesn't mean that things get decayed. When something comes afresh, something comes afresh. The world is gone. We saw from John chapter 11, from the life of Lazarus, when Lazarus was rose, risen up from the dead. Now, he did not come as a decayed man. The body was decayed. That's what they were told. They told Jesus. But he did not come stinking as a decayed person. I'm reasonably convinced that if Lazarus had a fall the previous week and bruised his leg and had a wound on his leg, he would have come back without that wound. Because when God recreated him, he would have recreated him as a perfect being again. Lazarus, come forth, and he walks out. If he had a limp earlier, he would have been walking perfectly fine. Amen? Because Jesus is the healer. He's done that. When he brings back somebody to life, he brings back that person to life in wholeness. And when he refills, he refills not with old stuff, but with new stuff. And delay is not decay. Acts chapter 2 verses 7 to 13, you would actually see what the people have said on the day of the Pentecost about the experience that they were experiencing. And they use a very peculiar word there. I want to bring it to your attention. It says, when they were all amazed, then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? All those people who were speaking in tongues that day, they were all from one particular location, that is, they were all Galileans. And they were supposed to be speaking one particular language. And now, how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and the Medes and the Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, Visitors from Rome, both Jews and the proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. Ooh, that's amazing. 
He's like standing in the immigration queue of the London Heathrow airport. And you're standing up there and say, hey, that guy speaks Kannada out there. I know that language. Oh, that guy speaks Hindi out there. I know that language. And the guy is standing in front of you speaking Spanish. There's a Japanese standing in the queue speaking his own language. And there's an Arab standing out there speaking his own language. And there's somebody else from uh, Andhra standing out there cursing his mind off saying that how long is this queue? And you don't understand French. But maybe the Frenchman is also using curse words saying that how long should I wait? Paris de Gaulle airport is better than Heathrow airport. All that kind of stuff is happening. But what is happening here is exactly that. People speaking in different, different languages. There's a guy speaking in Arabic. There's a guy speaking Latin, Greek, Hebrew, Egyptian. Different, different kind of languages. But none of them speaking obscenities there. But everyone is praising the wonderful works of God. Hallelujah. And all that they were hearing is something good about God. Amazing experience. And these people were perplexed. Those who are walking around. It's like, how are these guys speaking these many languages and praising God? In verse 12 it says, so they were all amazed and perplexed. Saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocked saying, they are full of new wine. I thought using the word wine was enough there. But it says new wine. There's something peculiar about new wine apparently. Which is very different from new wine. That talks about newness. And that possibly gives you a totally different kind of experience altogether. I don't drink. I never had that. But that gives you a little different level of intoxication is what people say. Don't try it. But when God fills us, He fills us with something new. What's new about this guy? It's like taking a lamp, and we live today in the world of LEDs. And sometimes this stage that I'm standing up here is lit up with the same lights that are here, with white, sometimes with yellowish white, sometimes with blue, sometimes with green. Imagine you are a lamp in God's hands. And all this while you are reflecting, you are showing the color white. And boom, you enter into a new season of life. God fills you with fresh oil. And now, the color of your flame changes to bright blue. How do you like that? Wow, this is a different color. This lamp glows differently. It looks more beautiful than in the past. And there is some new oil inside it. You know, the type of fuel changes the type of your flame, the color of your flame. We all know it, don't we? You go to a coal-fired furnace, it gives you red color. But if you go to a gas stove, it gives you blue color. When God wants to refill us, He does not refill us with stuff which is old. He cleanses us and puts something absolutely new into us. And that's why it's important for us to kind of just wait upon Him for the perfect timing for Him to refill us. In Psalm 27 verse 14 it says, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Wait as in just wait, man. Like, you know, he's going to do it. If you're a lamp, and if you get a feeling that you're running out of oil, is there anything that you can do about it? Anything that you can do about it? Can you go and refill yourself? Or can you open up the lid and say, all right, I'm opening up myself. All right, let something come inside. Of course, dust will come inside. If you are standing in the rain, rain will come inside. You will get spoiled in the process. But all that you need to do is wait for the owner to come open you, pour what he needs to pour in you. Because the owner knows that if he waits for a longer time, you would get burnt out. 
And as the light of the world, if you need to continue to shine who the owner, the Lord wants us to shine, He knows that He should not wait till a time that you burn out. You don't need to know it. He knows it. Because this light is important for the world. The world needs this light to shine. And He knows exactly when to come and refill. Hallelujah. Somebody shout an amen to the Lord. Waiting upon the Lord and no one else is very important. First Samuel chapter 30. There's a story that is told here about what David experienced and what David did in one of the most despairing situations of his life. The Amalekites came and attacked his camp. When the men were away, the women were carried off. The tents were burned. The children were carried away. And the men come there. They see that in the place called Ziklag, the attack happened. The ambush happened. And everything was burned. There was nothing that was left there. And the women were grieving because their wives were carried away. And somebody said, David had double portion of the grief because he had two wives. Pity that guy. We don't really know how many mothers-in-law he had to deal with. Let me read this for you. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag and burnt it with fire, and had taken captive the women and those who were there. From small to great, they did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men, in verse 3, came to the city, and they were, there it was, it was burnt with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. What a situation to be in. You cry and cry and cry and cry and cry and you're tired of crying. You don't have any more strength to cry. You have no more tears to shed. Now that's a situation of utter despair. Verse 5 says, Now David and David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelites, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. What a situation to be in. It reminds us of Moses. Where Moses... When he was there, standing in front of the Red Sea, the people said, "Like, you know, don't you think we had graves in Egypt that you brought us here to die in the wilderness? And there was a rebellion against this man. And here as well, there was a rebellion against, Moses, against David. They said, let's stone the guy. Like, you know, he's the one who actually brought us here. What does he think about himself? He brought us here. And we've been ambushed. Our families are no longer with us. And there was a rebellion. David looked around. He had no more strength to weep. He had no more friends to rely on. What did he do? It says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. What a place to be in. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He did not stand up as a rabble rouser saying, men of Israel, what do you think about the Amalekites? You know about me. I killed Goliath. I defeated the Philistines. I am your commander. Let's go and fight a war. He was not in that position at all. He was in a position of extreme weakness. Extreme despair. He cried and cried and cried. He didn't have the strength to stand up there and lead the people. But he went to a place of strength where he strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And verse 7 says, Then David said to Abiathar the priest, Abimelech's son, Please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And the Lord responds positively. And verse 18, the outcome comes in. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away and rescued his two wives. When we are in a point of total emptiness, 
the place to go to is to a place where we wait upon the Lord. And that's what David did here. David strengthened himself in the Lord. And when the Lord strengthened him, the Lord counseled him. The Lord led him as he inquired upon the Lord. And he went on to a place of victory. The aspect of the want, the aspect of the weight. I move on now to the last aspect, which is the aspect of the worth. A lamp waits to be filled. When the lamp is empty, when there are, there's a want, it is filled. But a lamp also needs to be a lamp which is worthy to be used. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 to 21, it says, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the later, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. If you and I need to experience that constant being used by God experience, it's important for us to be presenting ourselves as a vessel of honor, as a vessel which is worthy to be used by God. It is important that we cleanse ourselves from dishonor and sanctify ourselves to be useful for the master and be prepared for every good work. In, Matthew, in, in Mark chapter 2 verse 22, Mark chapter 2 verse 22 it says, No one puts new wine into old wineskins or else the new wine bursts the wineskins. The wine is spilt and the new wineskins are ruined. And the new wine must be put into new wineskins. If God is filling us, he wants to fill us in a place where we present ourselves sanctified to him. Where we constantly live in him, offer ourselves to him. Worthy vessels of honor is what God looks for. Is that what we are presenting ourselves as lamps in his hand to be filled and used by him and we are called as worthy vessels? I want to share with you from the life of Elijah, a man who was a great prophet. Lots is written about him. In 1 Kings chapter 18, you find Elijah on Mount Carmel having a showdown with the prophets of Baal. He tells them, here is an offering on the altar and you call your God and I'll call my God. Let us see which God answers. Amazing showdown, public showdown. And when the living God answers and, the, and there's no answer from Baal, when the prophets of Baal cry out to the God of Baal, Elijah goes ahead saying that, you know, look here, we have a living God here and he slaughters all those prophets. Wow, what an amazing man, bold man, strong man. Just move a few more verses into verse, verse 1 of chapter 19. Just the next chapter, you actually find that immediately after that victory itself, Elijah comes to a point of extreme fear, extreme desolation, extreme despair, and he's running for his life. It says, and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of, the one, of, of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die and he said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life for I am no better than my father's. Oof. A place where he has come saying, Lord, it's enough. I am tired, Lord. I can't take this anymore, Lord. I have done this amazing act, Lord, of going and killing all those guys who were dishonoring you. But look at this woman, Jezebel. Look at the threat that she has 
against me. I'm not able to handle it. He runs in fear and he says, Lord, it's enough. Take my life. Take my life. And he's sitting on a broom tree. I'm going to show you the picture of a broom tree in a while, but let's read verse 5 onwards. It says, Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said, Arise and eat. It's like saying, Let's talk about it later on. First you eat something. I know you're tired. The physical need has been met. Then he looked and there by his head was a cake baked on coals. A coal-fired hot cake. Wow, how do you like it? And a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. 40 days and 40 nights. Wow, that is some kind of a nutri bar. Amazing, isn't it? Amazing. Those of us who want to get slim, I think we should just look at that and say, what is the recipe for it? That's the kind of food with which he was filled. The strength with which he was filled. And he went 40 days and 40 nights and he goes to Horeb and God gives him the strength. He fills him. But he was a worthy vessel. He presented himself as a worthy vessel of honor into the hands of God. Brought honor to God. Was zealous for the glory of God. He challenged the prophets of Baal. And then he led them for a showdown. The picture that you see here is a picture of a broom tree. But he was led to that point of despair. Where he tried to take shelter under a tree like this. No shade. That talks about the state of his mind. But it was a worthy vessel. Are you a worthy vessel? Am I a worthy vessel? We need to present ourselves as worthy vessels where we reflect the glory of God. As I summarize, I just wanted to bring in a few more aspects here. The Indian Vastu Shastra or even the Chinese and the Japanese sciences they talk about five elements. They talk about Vayu, Agni, Jala, Akash and Bhumi. That is the air, the fire, the water, the sky and the earth. This is the Indian concept. Other cultures have got other elements there but they talk about five elements. And they say that a good balance between these five elements will give you a good quality of life. I was looking at this framework and I was asking myself, what is missing here? What is missing here is life itself. Where is life coming from? Let's get to the root of it. Let me tell you, you can be sitting in the same very room where scientists can come and tell you that it is not as per Vastu. It is not as per, you know, the Feng Shui or whatever it is. And you have all kinds of darkness surrounding this place because of these, 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 these elements not balanced. You can sit right there, have a relationship with God and come out of your despair situation. Because the God that we worship is life himself, is the giver of life, is the author of life. In Acts chapter 17 verses 24 to 25, when Paul goes to the city of Areopagus and he finds there that there's an altar which has been dedicated to a God with an, without a name, an unknown God, he presents to them in that city a God who is the author of life. Let's read this. It says, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with the hands of men as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. You know what he is filling you and me with? He is filling you and me with himself. He is filling you and me with new life. Every time we need it, he breathes into us. The world has seen a lot of natural disasters, tsunamis, oceans rising. We have seen earthquakes. We have seen uh, volcanoes erupting. We have seen glaciers melting. We have seen landslides. 
but nowhere in documented history have you seen a natural disaster where there's a village which is sleeping there and all of a sudden there is a vacuum that has been created and air has been sucked out from there and people have died. The reason being that we have been given the breath of life from God. By the grace of God, we live under that breath and God has breathed life into us and he continues to do that. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, this God says, Come to me, all you who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me, and I'll give you rest, which means I'll give you a new life, and I'll give you rest, and I'll provide with you with everything that you need. We live stressful lives, and somebody said there's an advantage that stress has. You know what it is? You don't need to make up your bed, because all the time you're lying in the bed. You wake up and then you say, I haven't slept enough. You feel sleepless. You try to sleep. But the problem is, there is no rest though you are lying in the bed. You are always struggling for sleep. And those are times when you question yourself, what is the meaning of Ephesians chapter 5 verse 19 when it says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And you come back and say, what? Psalms are you talking about? What spiritual songs are you talking about? What melody are you talking about when I have an emptiness in my heart? But go to the presence of God. He would fill you with himself. Because he called us in Romans chapter 12 verse 1 to be living sacrifices. I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy acceptable to God which is your reasonable service. A living sacrifice is a sacrifice which is constantly being sacrificed but it is not dying. It has life still. Moses met one of those on the Mount Sinai when he saw that bush which was surrounded by fire. There was fire around that bush but that bush was still alive. It was not burning. Your life and my life is like that, where God wants to use us and show to the world that here is a living sacrifice. There's enough life in it because out of our innermost being flow streams of living water. No matter what the circumstances around us, we keep burning because there's a fire that's burning inside us which is greater than the fire that's burning outside of us. Thank you for listening to this message. To know more about us, please visit www.adonai-ministries.com